Take your Bibles and turn to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. It's the last book of the Old Testament, so if you can find Matthew, turn left, and you will get to Malachi. Chapter 3, that's the one that comes after chapter 2. If I was given directions, I thought I was just going to give all of them. So we spent February getting back in. That was the, the sermon series, get back in, get back in to worship, get back in to trust, back into confession, back into scripture, going through our regular D group readings. Now we need to get out. We, we've gotten in, now we need to get out. We, we need to get, to get out of bad habits, we need to get out of sin, we need to get out of disobedience. And all of March, we're going to look at practical ways that are the, or, or rather practical ways to practice, that may be redundant, the results of February. We got into worship, to trust, to confession, to scripture. Now let's get out of those things that we see in ourselves because of what we got back into. Does it make sense? I hope so. At least by the end of March. Today, you need to get out of your wallet. Get out of your wallet. Some folks would argue that tithing is an Old Testament concept that's no longer necessary. We don't, we don't have to tithe anymore, we just have to, to give. Well, there's a good argument for actually giving much more than your tithe. I mean, I'm, I'm fine if we want to jump to the New Testament, we can do that where we're told to give generously. Uh, the, the church in Macedonia gave painfully. Paul writes to them and says, y'all uh, gave, uh, many folks gave out of their wealth, you gave out of your need, out of your loss. It was painful for you to give, and yet you did anyway. So we can talk about that if you want to, but that's not where we are in Scripture. We are in Malachi. We are in this passage about tithes and offerings. But if you say, well, tithing is just Old Testament law, I'm going to come back with, no, actually, it, it is, it, it's pre-law. It predates the law. Abraham tithed. Jacob tithed. And they tithed before the law said to tithe. So tithing is, is not Old Testament law. It's godly standard. Okay? So, besides, the, the moral law still is, is reflected on us as believers today. We didn't suddenly give up the moral law, hey, we Christ, we're Christians, we can murder now. No, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. We don't give up the moral law, and tithing was a part of that moral law and not the ceremonial law. And obedience, though, right, is definitely a moral law. Even if we could make the argument, well, tithing was just for the temple, offerings were just for the temple, we no longer go to the temple, therefore we no longer have to tithe. Sure, all right, we, maybe we could have that discussion. But what we have to realize is that obedience is morality. Maybe we're obedient in different things now, but we still need to be obedient. So as we read this Malachi passage, Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, if, if your focus is only on the tithes and offerings of this passage, if that's all you see, all you hear, and oh my goodness, he's preaching on money again, 
By the way, it's been two years since I preached on money, so it's not like it's again. It just came up. You're going to miss the point if your focus is money. That is what it's talking about. That is what we are talking about, getting out of, getting out of your wallet. Tom told me earlier this week, he said, I think you should have titled your sermon, Get Out Your Wallet. I'm like, well, no, no, it's, 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 it's not just that we want to give. That's necessary. We got bills to pay. But our, 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 some of us may be living in our wallet with guns drawn and, 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 and oh, no, I, I've got to protect this. That's the image I want us to have in our head. Get out of that. Some of us are so far into our wallets holding on to the money to keep it in there, that we are disobedient to the Lord. Some of us are, even after we give, we are obedient in the amount, we are obedient in the uh, uh, frequency, but even after we give it, we're trying to control its use. We don't give freely to the church, we designate back in uh, a previous town that I lived in, we were very close to the Methodist church. Closer than we are now, actually, uh, here. And I knew some folks who had gone from the Baptist church to the Methodist church before I got there because they didn't like the preacher, you know, how it works. And there wasn't another Anglo-Baptist church in town, so they went to the Anglo-Methodist church, which was literally across the sidewalk. But they would not give to the church. They wouldn't just put their tithes in the plate to the general fund and let it go because back at a certain time, the, the Methodist church actually, the, the, the national organization had lobbyists that, that lobbied for abortion, and these folks knew that. So they gave to the power bill or they gave to the water bill or, or what it, they designated all their money to make sure that it didn't go anywhere they didn't want it to go. And and, and in that sense, I understand, wow, you wouldn't want your money to go there, but there's a whole other conversation, I think, that needs to be had. If you're, anyway, I, I, while I understood it, that's not, that's not the biblical act of giving. There's actually no biblical precedent, uh, precedent for designating to pet projects or, or ministries. There's, there's not anything that goes on like that in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the, the tithes and the offerings went to the apostles and said, y'all do what you need to do with this money. And, you know, so your, your, your tithes and offerings then, we can make, I believe, a very good argument should go to the uh, undesignated, that's what we as Baptists call it, undesignated parts. And in your generosity, when you give over and above that to Andy Armstrong or something like that, then you designate to those ministries. So there may be conversations that need to be had in maybe just your own heart and mind with the Lord about how you give and where you give and, and what you give. But again, if all you are focusing on in this passage is money, you're going to miss the message because the passage is actually about our relationship with God. Money is maybe the hardest obedience to, to, to follow in because it, it, it means so much. I mean, it, some days, depending on where you are, it could mean the difference between living and dying, having food and not having food, having a place to live and not having a place to live. But this passage is about obedience. 
The, all of Malachi is about obedience. You need to do these things. You, you've, you've not done these things, or you've done these things. Have we done these things, or have we not done these things? You've done these things. You've been disobedient by these particular actions. It's actually a part of a, an extended call here in chapter 3 uh, to return to the Lord. So the message this morning is not you need to give more, though that may be what you have to take from this. The message this morning is not that you need to give differently, though that may be part of what you need to get from this message. The message this morning is that you need to get out of your wallet because living there is hurting your obedience. That's the message this morning. This passage is about obedience. Read Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 12 with me. Since the days of your fathers you have turned from my statutes, you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will turn, return to you, says the Lord of armies. Now we could stop there for just a minute, and we'll talk about it a little later, but I want you to already get in this mindset. God didn't bring up money yet. He just said, you're not being obedient. You've turned from my statutes. You've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. The people ask, or he says to them, yet you ask, how can we return? Verse 8, will a man rob God? You're robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You're suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land, and your vine and your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all nations will consider you fortunate, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. So God doesn't even start off with money. He just says you're being disobedient. He just says you are not keeping my statutes in verse 7. And what we see is, in verse 7, is an obliviousness to disobedience by the people of Judah. We're reading Malachi right now because he comes after or during the time of Nehemiah and uh, Ezra. So he is talking to the people who have come back from exile in Babylon. They've rebuilt part of the city, probably most of it, the temple uh, is, is along, maybe it's rebuilt at this point. I didn't look closely enough to see exactly when he is talking to know that for a fact. But what's happening is, in this particular case, the Levites, who didn't have land of their own, the, the, the tribe of Levi didn't get land because they were going to be in all the cities to serve as, for lack of a better term, pastors to the other tribes. They were going to be all over the place, scattered around, they didn't get land of their own. The priests, Aaron's offspring, didn't get land of their own because they're the same thing. But those people now, because the tithes and the offerings are not in the, coming into the temple the way they're supposed to, Levites and priests are having to go out and 
get a second job. They're having to be bivocational priests and Levites, again, for lack of a better term. They're having to till their own land and do all this stuff that they were not supposed to do. That's not the way God set it up. You will support the church, is is what he said. You will support the temple, the Levites, and then the priests. But the folks are oblivious to to what they have done. They're oblivious to their own disobedience. And in verse 7, he tells them, Since the days of your fathers, you've turned from my statutes, you've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. Notice that God is taking the initiative here. God wants restoration. But the initiative that God is taking is making the people aware. You're not being obedient. So the initiative to now restore the fellowship, God's brought it up. It's now the people's responsibility to act. I'm going to let you know what the problem is. Y'all have got to fix this. It lies with you. The implication is, once you know the problem, you should fix it, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to do you know, when, the, when the car breaks and, and, and you, you, I don't know what's wrong? You take it to the mechanic, they say, oh, it's this. Well, i got to have a car, so fix it. That's the next step. Once you know the problem, fix the problem. God presents the problem, but now it's the people's opportunity to respond. And they do. And they say, huh? That's their response. They, they, they dispute and complain. How dare you say something? What? You're telling me I'm not doing something right? What are you talking about? Preachers never hear that, by the way. Yeah, they do. How can we return when we've never gone away? That's really what the people are saying. Yet you ask, how can we return? The, the, The rest of that statement for the people is, how can we return? Because we, we've never gone anywhere. We're right here. We, we, the, the walls, yeah, the temples, we built it. We're, we're in Jerusalem. Everything's great, right? We're, we're out of exile. Everything is fixed. Judah failed to see their straying. And y'all, that is all of us. That is every one of us. We fail to see very often, where we are being disobedient. And every one of us loves it when somebody else points it out to us. That's our favorite, to be told, you're wrong. You're not doing it right. And guess who gets that job every Sunday? That's why preachers don't last. That's why the average time of a preacher at a church is 18 months. Across the state, I mean across the country, 18 months is the average tenure of a preacher. Because he's the one that has to get up there and say, we are doing this wrong. And the people say, and I quote, What's sad is the people, as it says on the screen, they missed the blessing, but they didn't miss God. 
They missed the benefits of following him. They missed all the stuff he did for them, but they didn't miss him. Man, I, I, I sure hate it that pick your favorite restaurant. This restaurant doesn't exist anymore. Man, that was my favorite food. I miss the food. And maybe you're just a compassionate person that always worries about the people that lost their jobs too. But most of us don't. We don't think about the people who no longer have a job and the people who lost their business for whatever reasons. We often just think, man, I miss the blessing of that restaurant. Now multiply that times a jillion. And that's what we do to God. We miss him when he shows up. But we didn't miss the fact that we weren't in the relationship with Him anymore anyway. We have strayed. They missed the blessing, but they didn't miss God. They were oblivious to their disobedience. This particular passage, verse 8, talks about a single symptom. And, and this that, that God is saying, return to me. And this isn't the first time he does it. He does it, says it earlier, and he says it later, says something similar, uh, this sort of uh, formula, you're not doing this. How are we not doing this? You're not doing it in this way. Oh. It, it, it's common. But in this particular case, he's talking about a single symptom. He says, will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? How do we rob you? More, duh, more, we didn't take anything of yours, God. By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions, he says. Money is a test of a servant's faithfulness. Jesus makes that clear later on, too, right? With the parable of the servants that were left with the talents. What are you going to do with the talent? In that case, it was money. What are you going to do with the money that the, the, the boss gave you? You get this much, you get this much, you get this much. One goes out and he, he uses the money. He tested the servant's faithfulness. Second one does that, goes out and he doubles it also. First one doubles it, second one doubles it. The third one is unfaithful. That's what he calls the servant, an unfaithful servant, because he didn't use what the boss gave him. Now, the, the broader message of that is we use the talents that we uh, that we are given, and we use talent as a totally different idea now. It's, it's something, a gifting that I have. But for them, the talent was money. Use the money the way the boss has told you to use it. How much of the money of those servants was theirs? It was none of it. The boss gave it all to them, and they were supposed to use it properly. It tested their faithfulness, and it wasn't, or because it wasn't, theirs to begin with. It is the same way with Judah. Judah, this is your land. This is uh, all your stuff, the, the, the crops, the herds. That's the stuff that's yours only because I gave it to you, says the Lord. That's not really yours. I'm only asking you for a tenth of it. The, the other way to look at it is, Judah, I'm letting you keep 90% of what I give you. I own everything, you own nothing. I'm going to give you what you need. You get to keep 90% of it, but in faith, in responsibility, in obedience, in relationship, you give me back 10% of that to show that you trust me to take care of you. 
How are we robbing God? By not giving me back what I've told you to give me that's mine to begin with. God says. They didn't honor God uh, and his gift with obedience. It's not just about the stuff. It wasn't just about the tenth of the crops. It wasn't just about every tenth animal. For animals, you know, they, they had to like literally line up the critters to go through a chute and the critters would go through the chute in whatever random order the critters would go through. And every tenth one had to be, uh, had, would pass under the rod is the, the phrase that's used. And every tenth one had to be pulled out. What it, whichever tenth one went under the rod, that was it. That's your, that's your tithe. That's your tenth. What if it's one of the really good ones? Right? Well... Let 10 go, we'll take 11 this time, and we'll start counting again. Well, then we'll only count 9 and do the... They would, they would cheat it. Because I, I can't give, the God, give God the best, I, I need to give Him, you know, over and over. They didn't honor God. They, they didn't honor His gift with obedience. They, they no longer saw their own sin. They didn't even see where they were failing. How can we return? Didn't know we had strayed. How do we rob you? Didn't know we were doing that. They couldn't see. Y'all, we can get so wrapped up in our sin that we no longer see that sin as sin. It's hard to believe. I know I'm not. No, you don't. You, you, you can see some of them. Yes, we all have the few things that we struggle with and some struggle hard and some struggle not so hard. But we look at them and we go, yes, I, that's a, an area I fail. But then we also have those ways where we fail over and over and over. And we just no longer see those as sins. We've gotten so used to them. And when that happens, the relationship breaks down. That's what had happened with Judah. The relationship had broken down. They missed the blessing, but they did not miss the blesser. They didn't miss God at this point. And he's now at the moment just pointing to one single symptom of their disobedience. Can we assume that there were other symptoms of their disobedience? This means yes. But he's just pointing out one. So as we come to this passage and we're reminded that we can be oblivious to our own disobedience. We need to see that we may be, uh, that we may be, we may need to respond to a particular symptom. We need to then, as the people did, as God told them, look around and see if their current troubles, verse 9, are a result of those sins, a result of that single system. In this single symptom, in this case, it was. Verse 9, you're suffering under a curse. Yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. So not only were they not experiencing, were they not experiencing God because of their disobedience, they didn't notice. They weren't even really, uh, they, they, they didn't realize that they were, the, the lack of blessing was actually a curse on them. 
that God had done something to cause the crops to fail, the, 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 the herds to die. And they suffered under at least one curse. Now we can go back in their history and know they didn't go off into exile simply because they didn't tithe. And exile didn't simply mess up the crops. There was a lot more to it than that, and there always is a lot more to it than that. But remember, God is pointing out, he's, he's pulling threads here. There's this, there's this thread hanging on this sweater, and, and, and once you start pulling that one thread, you realize that after a little while, I just unraveled the whole thing. That happens in our lives with sin. God pulls on a thread of sin in our lives, and then we realize that that thread was in fact connected to a number of other sins in our lives, and the whole mountain we've built, the facade that we've put up, unravels because God has pulled that one symptom, that one thread. The truth is, God didn't need their money. I own everything. God says, I own everything. I'm going to give you a little bit of that. And of that, you need to give me back this much. That didn't add a single thing to God's bank account. That 10%, our tithe, our offerings, doesn't do anything to God's account. Zero effect. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our tithes. God doesn't need our offerings. God wants our obedience. And so he says, give in this way. Do these things. In this case, for those people, it was to fill the storehouses of the temple, to, to feed the Levites and the priests, to do the work of ministry. Not much has changed. We call them different words, and we don't put, them in, put it in storehouses. We put it in bank accounts. But the, the, the idea, the, the work that's being done is, there, is the same. One theologian put it this way. Their failure to give what they owed to God was resulting in His withholding from them what they thought He owed them. I'm going to say it again because you need to hear how warped, how messed up their view of what was going on was. Their failure to give what they owed to God was resulting in His withholding from them what they thought He owed them. The truth is, God owes us nothing. But He lets us have 90%. But when He says, now give me the 10% back, we get mad that He's demanding something that we think He should let us keep. And He says, it's not yours to begin with. I don't owe you anything. And don't we owe God everything? This means yes. Our lives, our money, our families, it's all His. And God says, I want that obedience from you. 
your current troubles are because you are not obedient. Again, am I, don't, don't take this any further than what I'm saying now. Hurricane Laura is not because some of y'all don't tithe. That's not ex- at all what I'm saying, so don't, don't leave here saying that's what I'm saying. But I am saying that your current situation, your current messed up relationship with the Lord, no matter what your Quicken account or however you keep track of your, your money, your checkbook, your, no matter what that number looks like, whether there's a lot or a little, if you aren't being obedient, your relationship with the Lord is messed up. Because you're withholding what you owe him, thinking he hasn't given you what he owes you, and he don't owe you a dadgum thing. So he tells them, these are your current problems. This is the trouble you have. You don't have a relationship with me because you aren't obedient. Therefore, verses 10 through 12, if we see obedience, you will see blessing. God says, if I see obedience, you will see blessing. Bring the full tenth. Bring everything you're supposed to do into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Test me in this way. God does not like to be tested. Basically, he says throughout Scripture, don't test me. But when he says, don't test me, he's saying, don't test me with your disobedience. Don't, don't, don't come up in here saying all these things or doing all these things or not doing all these things thinking you're going to see if I'm going to react because let me tell you, I am, and you're not going to like the reaction you get. I mean, that's, that is what he tells people about don't test me. But he says in a couple of places here most clearly... Do test me with your obedience. See see if I will remain true to my promise is what he is saying. Test my promises. You think you, think you can't do the 10%, y'all? You think you can't, you, you just don't have enough to give the 10%? You think situation is just too bad right now? You can't do it? Test me, see if I don't keep the promise that I have made to you. See if I don't open the floodgates of heaven, and pour out a blessing for you without measure. The, the, that without measure phrase, it would actually be better, and some of your translations may say it this way, it, it, it would say something like the, the fullness of your need. Basically, he says, see if I don't give you everything you need. But God, I won't. I didn't, I didn't say wants. I said, see if I don't give you everything you need. And that need, here's the great thing. I might need this much. And God might say, I'm going to give you this much because you need to give away that much. My blessing may be something I need to use to meet someone else's need. Now, we look at it and say, I need this, And that gets to go to my wants. Nope, nope, not if we're following obedience. Maybe, maybe God does say, yes, you get what you, yeah, you go take that and do what you want. But this is for, I don't know. That's your relationship with him. That is you following in obedience. 
But God is going to supply everything that I need and everything that you need. And it may be that He supplies me with more than I need so that I can help meet your need. And it is the case that God will supply all of our needs and will likely supply more than our needs so that we as a church can give to the church in order to meet the needs that, the church, that God has put in front of the church at this time. That's the way God works. Blessing is defined by God, not you or me. And that blessing is to be used for His glory. God doesn't bless us. God rarely blesses us. Now, I'll say God doesn't. God never blesses you or me to glorify you or me. He blesses you or me to glorify Him. So our blessings are always for Him. When our needs are met, it glorifies Him. When we suffer and don't have everything we need and we trust Him anyway, it glorifies Him. You see how it works? It's all about Him. But, but God, I want it to be all about me. And I know you do. I do too. But it's not about me. It's about God. It's about our obedience. It's not about money. It's about our obedience. It's about obedience stemming from a relationship. Did you know you can tithe and be outside of God's will? You can. You can tithe and offer and give and give in abundance and give till it hurts and be outside of God's will. Turn back if you want to, and this isn't on the screen, so you'll just have to trust me. Amos chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. It's actually, yeah, four through five. Come to Bethel and rebel. Rebel even more at Gilgal. He's, he's taunting them at this point. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tenths every three days. Offer leavened bread, leavened bread as a thank offering and loudly proclaim your free will offerings. For this is what you Israelites love to do. This is the Lord's declaration. By the way, this is, in Amos, it's an oracle about the coming destruction of the people. Oh, you love to tithe. You love to show up, put your check in the offering plate, and you maybe kind of wave it around as you come in. Everybody says, oh, you love to do that. You, you're so good at tithing, and you have no relationship with me whatsoever, God is saying. 1 Samuel 15, 22 you are familiar with the story, even if the passage itself doesn't readily come to mind. Saul, this is Saul's rejection as king. We should have read this just a few months ago. Saul tells Samuel, I've kept out the best of the herds, the Amalekites, so that we can sacrifice them to the Lord, so we can tithe. And Saul tells him, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in, as in obeying the Lord? The answer is, the Lord does take pleasure 
in burnt offerings and sacrifices, but not if you are doing it in disobedience. Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of the rams. And then you can just flip over to Matthew, the next book, 23. Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus says it too. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin. You tithe on the smallest things. I mean, you're, you, you are... You, all right, that's mine. They put their cheaters on. I haven't gotten mine yet, but I'm, they're coming, I'm certain. And then they get just a few grains of that mint, and they, oh, all right, put that in the offering plate. That's God's. But they've missed totally neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things, the tithing, should have been done without neglecting the others. You can tithe and be outside of God's will. You can give everything you own to the poor and not have love, Paul will say, and it'll be worthless. Because it's not about your money. It's about obedience. It's about your heart. It's about your relationship. Another theologian put it this way. He said, The loose way in which many members wear, and he's talking about church members, the loose way in which many church members wear their plain obligations to the church is a scandal which enormously weakens its influence. Inconsistent church attendance, neglect of public worship, failure to identify oneself with the church's work and mission in the world, stingy gifts, lack of all personal interest and loyalty. These are ways in which the laity, the church members of today, rob God of the honor to which he is entitled. Money is just one symptom of how we can become disobedient and rob God of the honor to which he is entitled. In this passage, Judah's senses were dulled to their disobedience. How can we return? What do you mean we've, we've wandered? Well, you've robbed me. How have we robbed you? They just didn't get it. So the question we must ask ourselves, not just this morning, but every morning, y'all, I know, I can't remember the sermon I preached last week. I certainly can't remember the sermon I preached five months ago. Ten years ago, I don't have a clue. Did I preach ten years ago? Who knows? But every time you come to Scripture, it should be an adjustment in your heart. So that it's not just this morning that you hear the message and say, well, i got to check out my obedience or disobedience. I, it, is, it is tomorrow and the next day. Because you hear it today, I hear it today, and I go, yes. And I sit down with a checkbook yesterday, and I make some decisions because I had to make some decisions. And it's like, I didn't want it, but I got to now because I'm preaching this message on it. And I send out some things, and I just have to say, now, Lord, you multiply those pennies. 
And I have to do it. And, and, and you have to do it. But I've got to do it again next week or next month. And you do too. And so this message is not just for today, but it's for the coming days. You're awakened to it today, but what about next week? Are your senses also dulled to your disobedience? And this morning I'm saying get out of your wallet, but maybe there's something else you need to get out of. We're going to look at three other areas that we need to get out of in our lives in the coming weeks, but even that won't cover it. There may be others. So the question today is, have you heard the call of obedience, the call to obedience, specifically in tithes and offerings, so many times that you no longer think it's for you? Have you heard this message on Malachi 3, 7 through 12 about tithing and giving offerings so many times that you're tired of hearing about it? That's not for me. Isn't it? Isn't it for you? Because if you're thinking it's not, it probably is. And maybe it's not tithing today, maybe it's something else. And if you're sitting there thinking, that's not for me, then that is a relationship problem between you and the Lord, which means it is for you kind of nasty how scripture works that way every time you think it's not for you that's just more evidence it is for you it's kind of like a conspiracy theory every piece of evidence that disproves it proves it uh, that's what scripture does every time i think yeah i've got that one yeah go me god says really you do what about this dead oh, it. every time every But obedience doesn't begin at obedience. Okay? Obedience doesn't begin at doing what God says. Obedience actually begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not going to get the tithing thing right. You're not going to get the obedience part right. And you are certainly not going to get the relationship with God right until you get that obedience begins with Jesus. Begins with a relationship with Jesus. So let me phrase the question a little differently. Have you heard the call of the Savior, the call to repent and be saved, so many times that you no longer think it's for you? Yes, I've heard that Jesus loves me and he wants to save me. Yeah, I know, I know he does. I know he does. I know he does. But have you never responded in faith to that offer of salvation? Have you never been obedient to the call of Jesus? You can do that today. You can respond in obedience by understanding, first of all, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You are a sinner. You are disobedient. We all are to the Lord, to God. We have broken one of his laws, therefore we've broken all of his laws, and you've broken a lot more than one. Me too. And the wages of that sin is death. I'm going to die because of that sin. Guaranteed, and that death is eternal separation from God. Not just this body quits, but my soul is separated from God, and I no longer have any opportunity for relationship with Him forever. 
But the gift, not earned, not deserved, not bought with a tithe, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He proved how much he loves us because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loves me enough to die for me. God loves me enough to send his son to die for me. And then I need to respond to that. I need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Everybody who does will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So maybe today it's not the obedience in tithing. It's not the obedience in church attendance. It's not obedience in the mission. You've not gotten those right in your life because you've never truly come to faith in Jesus Christ. You've heard the gospel so many times. And yes, folks, you can sit in a church for 70 years and think you're saved and not be. I don't want to cast doubt on anybody's salvation, but I do want you to cast assurance on your own. that You know that you have given your heart to Jesus. That you haven't become deafened to the white noise of the gospel. You've heard it so many times. Is today your day of obedience? Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word. Thank you for reminding us, coming to us and saying, hey, hey, Michael, return to me. How do I need to return to you, Lord? By, by stopping the robbing you've been doing. How have I been robbing you, Lord? By not being obedient. Thank you for coming to each one of us, to First Baptist Sulphur, and saying, First Baptist Sulphur, return to me. How would we return to you, Lord? By not robbing me. How have we been robbing you, Lord? By not being obedient. In this thing right here. And a lot of other things too. But right now, today, in this thing, how have you been obedient? God, thank you for that constant reminder. Uh, that, that we won't remember the, remember the words Michael said three days from now, but we'll remember your words. Your words, Lord. And that will be what changes our hearts. God, we pray for changed hearts this morning. Hearts turned toward you that have been disobedient, have wandered. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So maybe you need to return in obedience. Maybe you need to turn in obedience. Maybe you need to trust Jesus as your Savior. If there's a returning you need to do and you want to pray to the Lord, but it's, it needs to be more than just you stand there, kneel at your chair, if that's what you want to do. Uh, Tom and Amy are in the back. They will be happy to pray with you, pray for you. Maybe you need to turn to Jesus. In obedience. Maybe you're online watching and, and, and that's something you need to do. Let us know. Message us. Email us here at the church. Admin at fbcsulfur.org if you want to email us or message us there on Facebook. Let us know what God's doing in your heart so we can pray for you. But during this time, as we sing, you need to do business with the Lord. And we all, every one of us, need to return in some way for some things. So let's do that as we sing this morning.